folks. Thanks for joining us again. This week, it is time for another episode of the Rec Poker Podcast Forums Edition. I'd like to thank Website Amp and uh, Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. I'm your host, Jim Reed. If you want to learn more about me, you can go to rec.poker slash Jim. But I'm just one person here, uh, joined by a panel of Rec Poker Wizards. Panel, why don't you tell the group uh, listening where they can reach you and a little about you. Well, I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5 by 5 on Poker Stars and Twitter. I'm John Somsky. You can find me at PokerGeekMN everywhere. I'm Rob Washam, and you can find me as Rabman50 everywhere. And I'm Taylor Moss. You can find me on Twitter at Taylor underscore Moss or in the Rec Poker home game on PokerStars as GopherBoyTJM. So just like every week, we are playing in the nightly home game. We're trying to steal each other's chips and win that bronze rec poker pin. And just like every week, we are going to take a discussion post from the rec.poker forums and talk about it here on the show. So this week, we're looking at a post by Hubs, and the post is called Bankroll Management. And this is a subject that it might not, it's not a sexy poker strategy conversation, but I think it's something that everybody needs to understand. Everybody needs to think about. And it's one of those things that if you, uh, if you are thoughtful on the front end, you can save yourself a lot of, a lot of pain and heartbreak along the way. So um, when we were, we don't really plan these, <laughs> I don't want to take you too far behind the curtain. We don't really plan these episodes out too thoroughly, but when we got together before this one, just to talk a little bit about game selection and how game selection was such an important part of bankroll management. Um, and that might not be obviously, that might not be obvious to a lot of people, but does anyone want to just jump in right there and talk about how, when you're kind of setting your sights on, on what's to come, why it's important to be thinking about these two things? Well, like we were talking before we started here, we, you know, you have to decide what you're playing for. What's what's the purpose? If you're playing just as a recreational player, uh, you may have your recreational income, whatever that is. You know, you might have uh, X amount that you're willing to spend on golf every month. Um, you might have X amount you're willing to spend on fishing every month, which is a lot more than golf, by the way. Um, and <laughs> But whatever that is, if that's what your goal is, then bankroll management is fairly easy. It's whatever your, you know, your uh, usable income is for that thing. Now, if you want to start a bankroll and then grow it using poker as a means, then you have to, you have to think about how many um, buy-ins you need to have on hand at any one time to handle the ups and downs of your poker career. Yeah, I think that's that's the the, the main point there that, that Rob's making is perfect, which is that as a professional, to be responsible, you have to be able to anticipate huge swings. So you need to be able to play a game where you can lose a hundred buy-ins just because of bad luck. You can be playing properly, you can just not go your way and have and you can still be able to play. Um, when you're a professional player, your your chips are the tools of your trade. You know, if you're a plumber, you can't work when you've played when you when you don't have any wrenches in the in the uh, toolkit, and when you're a gambler, if you don't have that stake, uh, you can't work. So, as a recreational player, for us, this is like a even if we're a break-even player or a slightly winning player or a, a slightly losing player, if um, if our bankroll runs out, we just have we have a real job. This is a leisure activity. We just go buy a few more buy-ins and and load it up. It's not the end of the world. So when people talk about bankroll, there's, I think there's a bit of, 
a bit of a like a, a gap right in the right off the top because mostly for recreational players what we're thinking about is what's my budget for this leisure activity if i was going to go to the movies what would my movies bankroll be um and and that's that's the way that that we should be thinking about it so it is really more about setting your target and and being responsible for um for being able to being able to keep playing yeah i think if you if you look online most bankroll articles are written with an eye towards the professional player um however they do have one thing in common that a recreational player does and this is the the whole point of bankroll management is to keep you in action it's to keep you with the ability to play now for a professional player it's because that's the way they make their money and if they run out of buy-ins they no longer have the opportunity to apply their trade or to actually work for recreationals it's more you just want to be able to keep on playing the games that you love so you have to figure out what you want for that or and this is where a lot of times, like for cash games, they'll say you should have a hundred buy-ins or something along those lines to make sure that you never go broke. Well, if you're playing, if you're a one, two, no limit player with the average buy-in for a game being $200, then a hundred buy-ins is $20,000 in a dedicated poker bankroll. And I don't know of very many recreational players that are playing uh one two no limit that have that much money in their poker bankroll so what you really need to look at it is how much are you willing to lose playing the game until you prove that you're uh, a good player back when i started playing online there you could find games and say okay i'm gonna set myself up with a hundred dollar bankroll and you could play games small enough that you could legitimately treat that like a bankroll and play. With live games, I tended to go more like, okay, I'm gonna set a budget for what I can lose. And I set my budget arbitrarily at $200, one buy-in. And, but I, any money I won would continue to go into the bankroll and give me more flexibility to be able to play. And I did that for several, several years. I got the bankroll up to where it was, you know, a few thousand dollars. It wasn't enough that I still felt comfortable to buy into like an MSPT directly, because that's, you know, a thousand dollar buy-in portion of it. And then, you know, life happened and I had to borrow from the bankroll to pay for life stuff. And since then, I just kind of make sure that I'm I'm overall winning in any given month, I don't lose too much. And, and as, as you keep playing, you know, as your bankroll increases, um, you can kind of go up in stakes if you so choose, because now you've got more buy-ins, right? Um, and, and as you're, and this is, if you want to Google the Kelly criterion, it's just, it's a really easy way to kind of get at some of the math behind this. But um, as you start losing and as your bankroll gets smaller, you have to go down in stakes because now maybe you've only got 50 buy-ins at 25.50, but well, that's a hundred buy-ins at 10.25. So that's just, you're always playing the game that you're staked for, whether it's in cash or tournaments or online um, or live. And one of the goals is so that you're always in action. And John just always has the perfect way to say stuff like that. I love that, to make sure that you're always in action. Um, and the other one is that you're always, so that you're never scared money because you don't want to be playing 
with your with the bottom of your stack. You never want to be putting money out there that you can't lose because you'll make suboptimal decisions. And trust me, we are making enough suboptimal decisions already. Uh, we don't need to introduce any less optimal decisions into that matrix. So um, being bankrolled is one part just responsible life management, but it's one part making you a better poker player too and having the confidence to pull the trigger uh, on those plays that you need uh, and not being worried about, worried about going broke. So there, there are some good comments here. I want to uh, mention a few folks that did pipe up in the forum post itself. So Hubs, uh, the original poster, who's talking about like a 40 buy-in rule and how as a recreational player, they're just going to re-up their account anyway if they donk it off. So they're just not sure like how to earmark some of that. Um, and we got some good comments here from Steve Fredland, um, from uh, Doug, and from Eric. And then Taylor, I know you also had uh, a comment in here similarly to what we've been talking about. Yeah, and it, the way I approached it is like kind of what we were talking about before. Like, are you playing professionally or are you playing recreationally? Like, uh, I'm sure there's tons of people out there that um, are really into golf or really into fishing like Rob talked about. And they don't have a, a bankroll management when it comes to that. Um, but that's how I viewed poker. Poker was my hobby. Um, you know, it, if I earmarked, you know, a hundred bucks every paycheck or a hundred bucks every month, whatever it was, uh, that could be my funds to play. So if I wanted to play a hundred dollar tournament every other week, there were, there was my means to play that. And, you know, I didn't care that I was exhausting my entire bankroll at that time. Cause you know, I'm just playing recreationally. Um, and then, you know, potentially with wins, you can decide what you want to do there. Um, but that is also kind of like recklessly too, because it's almost playing with the intention of losing, if you will, even though I don't want that to kind of like come off that way. Um, Cause I think the entire like concept behind bankroll management is like, what's, what's up with the variance in all these games that we play? Like there's a, there's a lot of like ups and downs. You can play perfect and lose 20 straight tournaments without cashing and you play it absolutely perfect the whole way through. And that's just how tournament poker goes. You can make a lot of mistakes and final table three straight tournaments and just how it is. There's variance within poker. And I think that kind of gets down to the, the crux of um, how well should you be staked for these various games that you're playing. John talked about hundred big blinds for a cash game. Cash games, a little bit less variance than tournaments just due to the fact that like, you know, you're constantly making money both ways tournaments you have to do well to actually make the money to actually get to a point where uh you can get some roi on whatever your investment was so um there's a lot of things to be considered and like think about when it comes to variance if you're just talking solely about tournament poker there's a lot of variance there too because you're talking about situations where i'm playing a 50 person live tournament or a 1500 person online tournament and those are going to have different variances associated with those. So you got to kind of think about all those things. And there's no like set answer of like, yep, here's exactly what you should do with your bankroll. Cause each person, each situation is entirely different. So um, just kind of think about those things and make sure you're making the right decisions for yourself as you're going through it. That's, that's um, yeah. Another, another thing I wanted to just talk about is just like this, the swings that you see, right. Uh, a normal tournament graph. If you just, grab any professional player, any normal player, 
that's playing poker tournaments, you're going to have this graph that's like trending downwards over time until you get a nice score and then it's going to shoot up. And then hopefully, you know, the trends downwards, but then it shoots back up again. Like you're just going to have those spikes everywhere through it. And it can be really tempting to change what you're doing whenever you hit a spike. I think that's a really important part of bankroll management is, hey, I just hit this spike. My bankroll just went from 1,000 to 3,000. Should I triple the average buy-in that I've been playing? Mm. And <laughs> we, get, we got a gym laugh right away. But <laughs> like you, you sh- you're going to go through those thoughts. You're going to see those different situations and you shouldn't triple the buy-in that you're playing. Like think about it in like tiers of like what you're going through. Like if you're playing a $10 average buy-in and you just hit big, maybe move up one tier, maybe go to a $15 buy-in. And then if you're going from a 15, maybe go up to 20 to 30, 30 to 50, et cetera. Um, and make sure you approach it that way instead of going, hey, I'm going from 10 to 50 just because my bankroll just went up. So I uh, really have to consider and pay attention to those types of things because um, you can kind of get lost in your own head, especially after a big win uh, in mm. a tournament. That's great advice. And it's something that everybody needs to hear because we all have that one big score that's right around the corner and that's going to prove to the whole world that we're a poker guide and that we're going to start, you know, like taking the whole world over and finally our luck's going to turn around. Um, and it's just, listen, you know, I, I got lucky early in my career and, you know, the best thing I ever did was just keep staying, stay in the micro stakes and keep playing the tournaments that I was beaten. Part of it is, you know, when you get up, when you go up, and I love this point from Taylor of going up incrementally. Uh, if you jump up a whole stratosphere of stakes, you're not even going to recognize the strategies that are being played at that level. The, the exploits that were working for you against people at your level are not going to be working for you at that level. So go up one level where the game's similar, but there are some differences, adjust to those differences, and then see how that goes. And you know, playing with house money is a wonderful thing. You don't have to leverage every penny you made just to, you know, try and make, try and make that now. Well, now I've got a hundred now, now I've got 200 buy-ins. And so I should move up so that I only have a hundred, like I'm supposed to. No, 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 no. That's not really what we're trying to get at here at all. Um, it's about, it's about a way of keeping you solvent, keeping you in action um, and keeping you confident. Well, and, yeah. Go ahead, Chris. Oh, the only other thing I'd add is sort of the opposite side of it too, is like, if, if you're, I think people can, uh, uh, experience that when they're winning, but they can also experience it when they're losing. And um, if you're somebody who feels like you, you, you know, you find yourself losing and then you want to sort of chase after it, or you're putting in like, well, I'm going to keep re-entering this tournament and, and uh, Kings into aces, Kings into aces again, this is just sick. I'm just going to, but like, you should, you know, just set some limits for yourself that are kind of fit within that, that are, are not just your, your overall bankroll management, but like, what are you willing to lose today? You know, like how many times, like I, I always, before I go to a tournament or whatever, it's like, if, if it has re-entry, am I going to re-enter? At what point am I going to re-enter? Um, are there, you know, you know, and it's not going to matter to me that I, you know, th- that I got the Kings into aces. If it's like, if it's reached a threshold where I already told myself beforehand, uh, I'm going to, I'm not going to do it. And that's, I think if you can set those kind of limits for yourself, you'll be managing your, your funds a little bit better. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. I I had uh, two basic points. One was kind of alluded to, but 
one thing to keep in mind is if you are used trying to have a bankroll in order to move up in stakes, as the stakes move up, the games typically get tougher. So you have to be prepared for that and be prepared to move back down. Also, the term bankroll management, it was derived to keep winning players in action. If you're not a winning player, you don't have a bankroll, you have a budget. Great and you points. have to figure out what your budget is for losing. And, you know, if you can get yourself over to being a winner, winning player, then you can start thinking about it in terms of bankroll. Great distinction, John. And I think, and, and especially as recreational players, some of, it might, some of us might even feel defensive at the notion that we're a break-even player or that we're a losing player. Um, but that's, that's ego and that's tilt right there talking, okay? Because you, you are the player that you are. Do you want to be a better player? Yeah, we all want to be better players. Um, do, do marginally winning players want to be even more winning players? Yeah. And do, do slightly losing players want to be slightly winning players? Yeah. Um, but they don't do it by, you know, sticking their head in the sand and just uh, assuming that things are going to go differently if they do everything the same. You know, you have to put the time in, get better, be responsible, re respect the game that you're in. And um, yeah, and, and bankroll accordingly. But the, the biggest point I want to make from John here is that there's nothing wrong with having a poker budget. You know, people have leisure budgets. We have, we, people go to the movies, people go golfing, people fish. And um, I don't know anyone who goes to the movies and has a one in 200 shot of, you know, tripling their ticket price uh, when they go. There's something kind of wonderful about this. You know, e even at, at our hobby, even in our leisure, we can make some money while we're at it, but it should be, think about it like a budget. I, I like it. Let's see if uh, Jonathan Little has anything to add. And then I want to get at some of these awesome comments in the chat from our members here. Have you ever wondered whether you should call a preflop raise or three bet instead? What do you do when you have a flush draw? Do you raise it or do you just call? What do you do with ace king when you miss the flop? Are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? Well, my name is Jonathan Little and I am a two-time World Poker Tour champion and creator of PokerCoaching.com, where we offer over a thousand interactive hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess and don't stress. Just register for your free account at PokerCoaching.com slash RecPoker right now. There you go. He knows what he's talking about, folks. Although I will tell you, um, Jonathan Little, one trick is when you're playing with Ace-King, uh, don't miss the flop. It's a lot easier if you can just, that's one trick. It helped me a lot when I was getting started. Uh, just don't miss the flop with Ace-King and you never even have to worry about that whole branch of the decision tree. So that's uh, just one tip for me to you. Um, so yeah, so we're talking about different graphs and how the variance affects different kinds of play. Taylor made this great point about how, um, you know, in Poker Tracker 4, when you're tracking your results, normal players are going to cash between 10 and 20% of the tournaments which means that they're not going to cash in between 80 and 90% of the tournaments. And when you don't cash, your chart goes down. So you, you, you entered a tournament, you didn't win, your, your graph goes down. Um, and that's going to go down 80 to 90% of the time you play a tournament. So uh, when you're in these larger field tournaments and you get these bigger wins, it basically just creates a new high point from which to descend for a while until you hit that next big spike. So tournament, tournament players, they have this very volatile uh, graph going up. Cash players, you're, you're really only winning or losing a few buy-ins at a night. So their, their graph tends to be much more sort of incremental and uh, less volatile 
And again, it can go up, it can go straight, it can go down, it can have peaks and valleys, but um, it's going to be less about variance um, per se in the way that we're thinking about it. Uh, let me see. What else should we talk about on this front? I really like, so we actually have the one and only Mark Prashan in the chat tonight. Website Mark himself um, from Website Amp, our, our delightful sponsor, who actually, I should say, Website Mark, does a lot of stuff behind the scenes at RecBoker that people don't appreciate. Um, he hears from me a lot. Thank you very much, Website Mark, for all your patience. <laughs> and uh, it's great to have you here. Um, he also mentions in here that as a recreational player, you know, his bankroll can be as little as one buy-in as long as you can afford to lose it and replenish it from another income source. And I think that's exactly the right way to be thinking about it, Mark. Um, that's right. And I think, uh, <clears throat> and Rob put another point in here, Ryan LaPlante has a spreadsheet that helps uh, with determining your bankroll. Um, yeah, and you can find that uh, online, just Google Ryan LaPlante spreadsheet. Um, uh, Jonathan Little also has a really good bankroll uh, rule. He's got like an article that goes through a bunch of rules for bankroll stuff, um, but Ryan's spreadsheet is fantastic. One of the things about that is the ROI. You have to determine what your ROI is and keep in mind that your ROI is going to be lower the more people that are in the field. That's the, the spreadsheet I'm talking about is for tournaments. Mm. So the bigger the tournament, the lower your ROI is going to be. So the fewer the people, the bigger your ROI should be, right? Is this, is this on uh, on Ryan's one? It's on, yeah, it's on the uh, Learn, Learn Poker site. Yeah, cool. He, he went over it in his Wednesday talk. He does a noon on Wednesday. Um and he does like an hour or two hours of live with everybody. And, and he went over the whole thing and was talking about uh, what your average buy-in should be based on the bankroll you have and your expected ROI. It has a lot to do with game selection. I think Taylor talked about that, you know, being in the right games, mm -hmm. uh, being in the right field size to determine what your ROI is going to be. And all of those things come together and it shows you what your um, bankroll should be or what your average buy-in should be based on what your bankroll is. Okay. Thanks, Rob. I knew there was one more thing I wanted to mention. That was the ABI. So your average yep. buy-in for tournament players, this just, and it's very simple. It's just the average buy-in over the course of your last 20 tournaments or your last hundred tournaments, however you want to calculate it. Um, it's kind of a target for you where you're saying like, this is my bread and butter. This is where the tournaments are expensive enough that I take them seriously, but they're, low enough stakes that I still have a, a skill edge <laughs> to express over the field. And that's, those are the tournaments you should be playing where you have a skill edge, but you still care about winning. And that's going to be a function of, of, uh, of, uh, what am I trying to say guys? Buy-in or a stake. It's the, the, the easier games are cheaper. Economy. So uh, I think that's, that's really important. So when we, when we talk, when we do talk about game selection, field size, buy-in, game variant you know rob um, made this great point in, in our earlier episode of the podcast we were talking about how um, steve fredland will counsel some players to play a lot of satellites because they're really good at sort of getting to that money bubble but then they're not their skill isn't in launching from there into a first place finish so there's so many different ways different skills different playing styles um, there's different kinds of poker you could play. And I really think, you know, your personality should have something to do with it. And, uh, and the way that you play should have something to do with it. Find a variant that's, that's good for you. If you're Bluff Storini, it's one where you like to get the chips in the middle. So, uh, everyone's got their own thing. 
Uh, well, if I don't have uh, any other thoughts coming in, I guess I'll thank Hubs um, at Rec Poker for making this awesome post. And of course, uh, I also want to thank Taylor Moss, uh, Chris Jones, John Somsky, and Rob Washam for joining me. Uh, Eric, Doug, and Steve for typing in the chat. Kim, Mark, and Stewie, thanks everyone. Have a good night. See you next week.